You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, happy Mother's Day uh, this morning uh, to you. And if I hope you're being tre- I hope you're being treated like a queen in your home. Um, and uh, take the trash out without being asked, right? So, wish my son was here to hear that. But, but honey, I'm going to call him on the way home. And I'm going to tell him that. Uh, that he needs to do that today. Uh, you're not going to have to ask anybody to take the trash out today, I promise you. Um, and then call your moms uh, if, if, if you need to. Call the, her and tell her um, thank you and that you love her. Um, it's, it's what we should do as believers, honor, honor our mothers uh, today. Here, here's what we're going to do. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I was gone last week, uh, and I'll have an opportunity, I hope, in the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you a little bit about the trip. Uh, Eric and I took a trip. Uh, we went and scouted out um, Egypt and Jordan, and um, hopefully uh, be incorporating that here pretty soon because we would love to go back and take some of you with us uh, to see um, some of the things that we got to see. And so we'll be going to um, Israel in October. And um, if, if you want to do that, we want you to go with us. Um, we're going to leave October the 29th. Love for you to join us in our trip to Israel. And then um, hopefully uh, next year we'll be looking at um, going to see some of the things that we just got back from seeing. Uh, it was outstanding. Can't wait to tell you some about some of of what it is that we saw when we were there. All right. So, hey, listen, go to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be the second half of Galatians chapter 5. Paul's been writing to these churches in Galatia. So it's not just one church. It's several churches in this region in uh, the southern part of Turkey, southern part of Asia Minor at the time. Paul went and preached there during his first missionary journey. And he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of Jesus, um, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He calls it the gospel, the good news. He, he heralded it. He, he proclaimed it. It was the hope of salvation. And as the folks in these regions began to hear Paul's message of salvation, um, the, the hope, the, um, the, 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 the prospects of their sin being forgiven, uh, them being reconciled with God, they believed Paul's message. They, they believed in this Jesus that he proclaimed. The Jesus that that was anticipated and prophesied by God, the the Jesus who was forever the Son of God, who stepped out of eternity into humanity 2,000 years ago through the womb of a teenager in Bethlehem and came into the world and and lived a a life that was absolutely perfect, actually lived, lived out humanity better than than human. He, he was, he's the ultimate human, the ultimate humanity. He redeemed us and then died for us and then rose from the dead, conquering death. And so Paul's message to the Galatians was always, listen, Jesus did it all. He was sufficient. He paid for sin. He, he provided the way of righteousness. He provided the way for us to be reconciled with God. And so these Galatians who had spent their life in this pagan practice, always, always trying to satisfy and appease God, Paul says, you don't have to do that anymore. In fact, those gods aren't even gods. The one true God that, that created the heavens and the earth, he wants to know you. He created you. He sent his son to save you. And they said... They believed. And God's Spirit was sent into them. And the spirit of adoption, they became children, sons and daughters of God. And and churches were formed. But soon after that, some folks came in behind Paul, the the Judaizers, Jews, who, who didn't like Paul's message necessarily. It wasn't that their 
their problem was with Jesus so much, it was just that they didn't believe Paul told them the whole story. Listen, Jesus is, is great, but there's things you have to live up to. There's things you need to do. There was this whole Old Testament law, this, this system of, of works and, and things to do. It began with circumcision, and then there were dietary laws and, and things to wear and not to wear, things to do and not to do, and ways to eat and not to eat. And, and they were, came in and began to heap all of these codes and laws and rules and ways of life upon the Galatians. And the Galatians began to hear that and believe that, you know what, maybe there is more than just believing in Jesus. Maybe we do need to do these things. Well, Paul gets wind of it, and he writes this letter to the Galatians to say, who, who in the world has bewitched you? How did you become so foolish overnight? Jesus has done it all, and and it's not ever been about what you could do. It's not ever been about your performance. It's always been about Jesus' purity. It's always been about what Jesus has done. He has done it all. And you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, period, alone. And so that's what Paul sits down, puts pen to paper, and writes the Galatians. And so this morning, what Paul's going to do in the second half of Galatians chapter 5 is he's, he's going to remind them of some things that he taught them when he was with them. And, and as we hear it this morning, we'll hear these words, and I, and I think as we hear these words, we'll, we'll feel this conflict, this tension inside of us, because we've been hearing all along, Paul been saying, listen, it's by grace and through faith in Jesus alone, period. It's not about what we do. It's never about what we do. It's always about what Jesus has done. And then we'll hear these things this morning. So, well, Paul, have you, have you done a 180? Have you changed what it is that you've said? Well, have you changed the script on us? Because it sounds like maybe you're saying something different this morning. But I want to argue that Paul's not saying anything different than what he's always said. And it's important that we hear Paul on his terms as he writes to the Galatians. Because he is saying what he has always said. That it is by grace, through faith, in Jesus alone. And that those that have been saved by Jesus will be changed by Jesus. And it is a gloriously great news. So if you'll read with me, I'm going to start in verse 16 of chapter 5, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. We'll go back through, and I'm going to to talk about what it is that Paul said. He says it this way. He said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, right off the bat here, in verse 16, Paul's speaking about a battle between two natures. Two wills, two two competing desires going on inside the believer, an an internal conflict, an internal war, if you will, of of the Christian life. Paul's speaking about normal Christianity. See, normal Christianity, the normal Christian life is is a battle. It's a war. 
Let me explain it this way. On the one hand, you have what the church is called and always talked about it. The word is justification. So sometimes we say it, it's what we mean when we say um, to be saved. It's how the gospel is applied. When, when we talk about, listen, you, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, period. That's what Paul has been writing to the Galatians. It's what he's been pouring his heart out, his passionate plea, his, his energy. This is what he's been expending his energy about to the Galatians. He's fighting for this. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Justification. In fact, he began Galatians. He said it this way in Galatians chapter 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if there were... Even, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He defines the gospel in Galatians chapter 2, the very next chapter. He says it this way in verse 16, Yet, if, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He picks up at the beginning of chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplied the Spirit to you and worked miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counting to him as righteousness? Go right later to Titus saying the same thing. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's justification. Jesus has done it all. It's not about what we do. And that, I would grant you, is one of the main themes of the Bible. It's the tension the Bible builds to. It is the, it is the tension. It is, the, it is the, the good news the Bible proclaims in the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus A man is reconciled to the God who created him. Though we rebelled against him, he loved us. At the same time, while justification is a major theme throughout the Bible, another theme that is woven throughout the Bible is that those who are justified, who are saved, are changed. We call that sanctification. That those who are justified, who are saved, who are, who are indwelt by, by the Spirit of God's Son, 
are conformed into the image, the likeness of God's Son. Sanctification. Listen to what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Peter will write this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And how about James? In James chapter 2, James will write this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus, period. Justification. And those who are saved will be transformed by the power of God's Spirit. We are changed. It's inevitable. And there is this tension. There is this battle. There there is this... Maybe you feel it. You know, you've been made new. Paul will write in Corinthians, the old is gone and the new has come. The old has gone and the new has come. But maybe you think, you know, I've put my trust in Jesus. I believe that. It just doesn't feel very much like the old is gone, though. What do I do with that? Why does the old still feel like it's here if it says the old is gone and the new has come? See, here's here's the thing. The flesh, it remains. The the old is gone and the new has come. There, There is this sense in which we live with an already... And not yet. Already, you are everything you will be. Already, you are holy, if you're a believer, holy and blameless and perfect and righteous, clothed in the beauty of Christ, and stand before God perfectly justified. He sees you. He sees his son already. And at the same time, you are not yet who you will be. You are already who you are in Christ. And not yet who you will be. Already. Not yet. Already. Not yet. The flesh remains. 
The old is gone. The new has come already. But the flesh remains, and you're not immune to the desires of the old Adam or the old Eve. The, the, the desires are still attractive. They're still familiar. They're still forged. You, you don't triumph over them, though, by exertion or will or, or law or knowledge or what Paul called in Galatians 3 and 4, the, the stokia, the elementary principles of the world. See, we have a flesh now. We, we live in between the comings of Christ, the first coming and the second coming. The first fruit of resurrection and the final resurrection. When what we are is finally revealed. The flesh, these, this is what desires sin. The spirit desires God. And there's this conflict within us between the flesh and the spirit. You, you can think about it as this cage match of the heart. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And unless you realize that's your greatest problem, you won't know what to do about it. You see, what happens so often for us is that in our in our preaching and our strategies and our living in this Christian life and our in our desires to make project progress, we, we approach the situation wrongly. You know, the old axiom goes. I didn't make this up. It is. It's held true for a long time. I don't know where it originated. But what the heart desires, the will chooses. And the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will chooses. And the mind justifies. And so often what happens is, is we approach our strategies to change at Going at our minds, think, changing how we think, or changing our will, changing what we choose. And yet we neglect our hearts. Martin Luther, he used to quote a man often because he liked what this man had to say. And he'd quote him all over the place, and here's what the quote is. He this man would say, he said this, and then Luther would quote it. And the man said this. He said, more than a thousand times I vowed to God I would improve. See, already there, that probably resonates with you. It does me. More than a thousand times I vowed to God that I would improve, but I have never performed what I have vowed. Hereafter I shall make no such vows. Because I know perfectly well that I shall not live up to them. Unless God is gracious and merciful to me for the sake of Christ and grants me a blessed final hour, when the time comes for me to depart this miserable life, I shall not be able to stand before him with all my vows and good works. You see, literally, Paul calls this sinful desires, these, these desires of the sinful nature. He... he there's this Greek word behind it all, and this the, the sinful nature, the desires of the sinful nature. If you had the old King James Version, it, 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 you defined the word or translated the word lusts. But the problem is, in today's word, it gives us the wrong picture of it. One author defines it this way, he's, he's, and he's right. It, the word literally means an over-desire, an inordinate desire, an all-controlling drive and longing. And the main problem is that the heart, it's not so much that it has a desire. The heart has desires. Desires are not bad. It, it's the over-desire. 
This is not just a desire for bad things. It certainly can be. There are many things that we desire that are bad. But this is the over-desire for things that are good. When a good thing, we over-desire it, and it becomes a God for us. It, 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 we, we, we desire it so much that it begins to lead us, and we have to have it. David Powelson, in his book on biblical counseling, says it this way. If idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God in the Old Testament, then desires, this word, is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for that same drift. The New Testament merges the concept of idolatry and the concept of inordinate life-ruling desires for lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand. It's taking something good, and it's an over-desire for something good. So then it not just becomes bad, but it becomes now evil and wicked and controlling on my life. And so then when I don't have it, it devastates me. And so what Paul does here is he speaks about the difference between under the law and being led by the Spirit. What, how do we, what's the solution? How do we get at the heart? See, the problem is, is when we only go with the mind or we only go with the will, the law can never touch those things. The problem is that the heart, the, the Spirit goes where the law can't go, and that's the heart. Under the law and obeying the law are entirely different things. Under the law... And obeying the law are entirely different things. You can obey the law without being under the law. You can obey the law without being under the law. Remember, the law, Todd said last week, verse 14, the law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can obey the law without being under the law. Let me illustrate it this way. In marriage, you do not have to have a list of rules in your marriage to fulfill the laws of marriage. You, you don't have to post laws of marriage on your refrigerator to fulfill the laws of marriage. You, you don't have to be under the law to fulfill the laws of marriage. In fact, if you want to ruin your marriage, post those laws on your refrigerator. And then begin to measure your performance. Because when you do that, your marriage is no longer about the relationship. Your marriage is no longer about the other person. It becomes completely self-focused. You say, well, see what I've done? Now I'm entitled. I fulfilled everything on the list. I checked all the boxes. What's your bad attitude about? I'm telling you, it'll go really well. See, you've, you've turned marriage into scorekeeping instead of heart tending. You can do it in parenting. In, in fact, you, it works in all our relationships. Under the law is a system of performance. To be under the law means you've made moral performance. Your identity, moral performance, your way of salvation. You've done it. You, you, you've made this performance the way for you to control all the outcomes. The way for you to say, okay, so if I do this, then I'm all right. It's my system of salvation. If I do this, and I, and I do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, then God has to bless me. And the sinful nature is not just what your heart makes you do. It certainly is that. It's, it's the sin we do. But the sinful nature is at the core of your heart. It's, it's that your heart wants to go back under the law. Your heart wants to control. Your heart wants the system. Your heart wants to try... Constantly move back under this idea of moral performance. Take this and then approach God. 
Paul says, no, it's not under the law. We don't go back under the law. We're led by the Spirit. And those are radically different concepts. Now, that was a lot of freight to set up the rest of what he's going to say here. So in verse 19, he says, now look, the works of the flesh, they're evident. Now, think about it in terms of over-desire. Not all of these are bad in and of themselves. If, if they have bounds, some of them are, are good. But over-desire, they've become, they've become bad. They've ruled the life. So, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, imagery. You go on down the list. But it's not an exhaustive list, is it? So, I could go on and on and on. Things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about brokenness. There's a broken sexuality here. The sexual immorality, it's sexual intercourse between unmarried people, impurity. Here's the unnatural sexual practices and relationships. And the, uh, the, 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 the sensuality that he speaks of, debauchery, un, uncontrolled sexuality. Broken sexuality. There's broken spirituality. There's broken community. Selfish ambition. Strife and jealousy and fits of anger. Try those out at your life group. See how it works. Or your marriage. Or in your family. See, these sins are a snapshot of what it means to live life according to the flesh, to our own sinful des desires. And what he's saying is, is these things, unhindered, with no war, no friction, no resistance, that this is your practice, this is what defines your life with no resistance. This is the trajectory of your life with no war. And see, that's not normal Christianity. It doesn't matter what your life looks like on the outside. You might say all the right things. You might have all the right language. You might wear the right T-shirts. You might have conformed to the culture on the outside. But if there is not that war raging in your heart. I don't know why I do the things I do. I don't want to do that. I'm battling. It's this war. I feel like I'm taking three steps forward and two steps back, or sometimes two steps forward and three steps back. And I'm, and I'm, I feel like I should be making more progress than I'm not. And I, But a life lived this way, no friction, unhindered, Paul says. Look, I warned you like I warned you before. This unhindered without friction, this isn't the Christian life. This, isn't, this is not Christianity. You haven't heard the good news. But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice three things about this. Fruit, not fruits. Fruit, singular. It's all one. Which means he's not talking about... Something that is just your temperament. He's talking about something supernatural. So you can't get away with saying, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good at kindness. Just, I don't have any self-control. That doesn't work that way. That's not fruit of the Spirit. That's just your temperament. You're just a kind person. Or you say, you know what? I'm really great at at at, uh, at joy. Eh, faithfulness, not so much, but who cares? I mean, you know, five out of eight aren't so bad, right? 
This is not how it works. It's not fruits. It's fruit. It's all of them. They all come together. It's the supernatural fruit of the Spirit. In fact, one writer I read this week, he said, you know what? The best way to look at it is take the one that's, that seems to be the weakest point. That's, that's probably the best gauge of your spiritual growth. Notice this also. These are not the deeds of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the deeds of the flesh. It is the fruit of the Spirit, which means it's something that happens gradually. It's produce. You ever watch a garden grow? Pull up your folding chair, sit right next to the garden, and just watch it grow. See anything? It's gradual. It happens over time. Hard to watch a garden grow. Love. You know what love is? It's making yourself vulnerable. Serving somebody else. Putting yourself out. It's the opposite of protecting yourself. Joy. And the fruit of the Spirit is it's delighting in God. For who he is, not just what he gives us. It's not just delighting in others for for what they what they do for us, for how they make us feel. Peace. It's confidence and trust in God. You know, I think a lot of people think peace is, listen, peace comes when, when everything in my life is in order and I have all my ducks in a row. Then I'm at peace. And you know what? That's not peace. That's self-control. Peace? Peace is that, you know what? In the midst of chaos, I trust God anyway. My confidence is in if peace is dependent upon all your ducks being in a row, that's not peace. That's the idolatry of needing to control your circumstances. And listen, that only happens supernaturally. To somehow believe that you're not smarter than God, that listen, that takes the supernatural work of the Spirit in your life. Patience. You know, at the root of patience is that you've got to be able to forgive somebody. You know that? To be patient with someone is to be able to forgive somebody. Kindness. It's, it's being generous, not envious. That takes the spirit. Faithfulness, dependability, not, not half-heartedness, gentleness, you might say humility. What C.S. Lewis said, not, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And self-control, the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. How's that look in your marriage and your family? See, the Spirit goes where the law can't go. And that's to the heart. The Spirit is an external code that, that it, listen, it's a, it's, a list of, it's a list of things. It, it comes to us and we have to conform our life to it and we can't ever live up to it. It's something on the outside that comes to us and says, this is what you're supposed to look like and we can't ever look like that. But it can't, it, it doesn't have any effect on our heart. The Spirit comes to where the law can't and changes our heart. Here's, here's a couple of examples of the difference. The external code versus the internal desire. The external code comes to us externally and says this is the way we're supposed to be. An internal desire comes, writes God's law, His will, His ways on our hearts. And then the Spirit gives us a heart and a desire and affection 
to walk in that way. It's the difference between a command and enablement. The law commands but gives us no power. The Spirit comes and just enables us. There's hostility versus delight. The law comes, we rebel against it. It provokes us, it incites us. The Spirit comes, it removes the hostility, it writes it on our hearts, it causes us to delight in in God's ways, delight in God's, God's heart. We long for Him. It's fear versus gratitude. The law motivates with fear. The law is the kindergarten teacher that says, I'm going to call your parents if you don't stop kicking the kid in front of you. Fear. The Spirit comes and shows us God's grace and produces this response of love and and gratitude. It shows us all that God has done and all of His love and all of His mercy. God is a Father and we are His children. It's the difference between working and relying. The difference between performing to be accepted by God and having the Spirit come and bearing witness with our spirit that we're already accepted by God, that everything we needed, Christ has already done. Everything that needed to be done, Christ has done. We are, it is not our merit, it is Christ's merit. It is His perfect righteousness. We are accepted by Him. We've already made it. It's like I said a few weeks ago, we've already won. And so that's why he says in verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We crucify the flesh, and we keep in step with the Spirit. The way Paul speaks about that, he'll talk about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I read this a few months ago when we began this series. I'll remind us of it again. In 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about the two different, the way of the Old Testament, the way of the New Testament. And the way of the Old Testament in its day, in Moses' day before the coming of Jesus, listen, it had its glory. But he said this, he says, listen, we've come and here's what you need to know now, Corinthians. This Old Testament, this letter, the letter kills, but the Spirit, it gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved on letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end... Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in its glory. Indeed, in this case, what once has glory had come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more that which is permanent will have glory. We have a hope. We're bold. We're not like Moses who would have put a veil over his face so the Israelites might, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is written, read, a veil lies over their hearts. But... When one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, what Paul's saying is here's this battle. And the way we win the battle is not by our will and not by our exertion and not by crafting a bunch of systems and codes and and legalisms and, and laws to follow, to keep ourselves in check. But it is to be led by the Spirit. And where's the Spirit leading us? The Spirit is leading us to the beauty of Jesus. And in leading us to the beauty of Jesus, it leads us there to crucify the flesh, so keep in step with the Spirit, he says. To see the beauty of Jesus. To see the beauty of Jesus. How are we saved? It is by grace, through faith, in Jesus alone. Period. How are we changed, transformed from one degree of glory to another? By grace, through faith led by the Spirit to see the beauty of Jesus. Keep up. Keep in step with Him. Look to Him. The Spirit wants to show you the beauty of Christ. And if you see it, the degree to which you see it, you desire Him more than you desire anything else is what He's saying. That is both worship and crucifixion. Listen, there's two ways to leave here this morning. You can leave here this morning looking at yourself in the mirror going, I wonder how I'm doing. I wonder how I'm doing. Not very well. Or you can leave here this morning led by the Spirit looking at Jesus. And I wonder how I'm doing. Well, he's beautiful. That's how I'm doing. John Newton. You know John Newton because he wrote the great song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He wrote that after he was saved. He was a slave trader. After he was saved, he stopped stopped trading slaves. He became an abolitionist. He he did everything in his life he could to, to free slaves, to stop slavery. Became a pastor in Olney, southeast. Southeastern part of England for two decades, 20 years. But in his life, even to the very end, he always grieved. What he estimated was about 20,000 slaves that he traded. He said when he went to bed at night, he could still hear the cries and the screams. He wrote near the end of his life in some memoirs, some letters to his wife just before his death. He said this, this is not about looking at yourself. This is about leaving here looking at Jesus. This is what Newton said. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. And I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I still am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Praise God. That's the war. The normal Christian life. We battle 
We already are, and not yet. If you're here this morning and you still are the only king of your life, you don't know that war, you're still trying to save yourself, and this morning you've come and you find that you're tired of it. You've come to the end. I invite you this morning to trust Jesus as your Savior. This morning to turn the reign of your life over to the King of glory. And to know the joy of being a child of God. Trust Him this morning with your life. The one who died for your sin was raised to new life. And grants you everything He is. You do that this morning by saying, you know what? I believe. I trust Him alone. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this for this word this morning, this text from Paul, this reality that those that you have saved by your son Jesus, you change by the spirit of your son Jesus. Father, we don't change ourselves that you are changing us. That in the midst of this war, you are forging in us the likeness of your Son. Even when we can't see it, even when we're discouraged, even when we feel like we're taking two steps forward and three steps back. Father, we thank you for the presence of the struggle, the resistance, the Thank you that your spirit indwells us. The spirit of your son that has come to us and that we cry out to you as children, Abba, Father, and you have not forsaken us. And although we are not what we want to be, ought to be, wish to be, or will be, we are not what we were. By your grace, through faith in your Son, Jesus, we are what we are. Father, let us leave here not looking at ourselves, but looking at the beauty of your Son, transformed from one degree of glory to another. We pray the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.